stand with me for the reading of God's Word. That is not something that God mandates, but I think it's just one of the many ways we can show respect and reverence uh, for His Word. Um, Holly's testimony and uh, Beth's prayer and the words that Brooke shared have really set me up. You know, those of you that have preached and taught the Word of God, how sometimes someone sets the tee up and the ball is set there. Well, this morning I've got a beach ball <laughs> sitting on there and one of them big plastic wiffle bats. So if I can't get the message across this morning, it's all my fault. I want to take a very uh, n- not so familiar passage of scripture and bring out that which the Lord has really touched my heart about. Uh, it's a simple message, but it is absolutely revelational. Matthew 22 beginning with verse 23, if you there say amen. The same day came to Jesus the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and that is why they are sad, you see. That's how you remember who the Sadducees are. No, that's how I remember, you know, yeah. And they asked him, Master, Moses said that if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up the seed unto his brother. That's why it's very important who your siblings marry in Old Testament days. Now there was with, help me Lord this morning. Now there was with us seven brethren and the first when he'd married a wife deceased and having no issue left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth and unto the seventh. And last of all the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all were her husband. And Jesus answered and said unto them, and this is the part I want you to mark in your Bible. We're going to deal with the context. And you know, only God can, we we always study the word of God in context, always. But he's not limited to the context in its application. And Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. This is your problem. You don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. You do err, which means you go astray. You wander out of the way. You veer from safety, truth, and virtue. You err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as the angels of God in heaven. But touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying... I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. If you'd remain standing for just a moment. I want to talk to you this morning by the grace of God on the subject, the scriptures and the power of God. Here they were with a perplexing question. It's one like your kids would think of, you know. Uh, and you wonder, how did you come up with a question? But here's a, a perplexing question. A question that does not seemingly have an easy answer. We're living in a perplexing day. A day which does not have easy answers. But Jesus says, your problem is not the complexity of the question. Your problem is that you are not versed, astute. Uh, uh, by now you should be teachers. We're ignorant to the word of God and we should be well-versed. We should be fully saturated in the word of God, expecting, 
with a history of and an anticipation of the power of God to validate that word in your life. He told the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection, he said, the answer to your question is there's no marriage in heaven. And I'm the God of the living. You said there's no resurrection. I said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if they were annihilated as you think, and by the way, what you think is wrong and what you're uh, by the way, just because a crowd of people believe something with you doesn't make it right as well. He said, all of you are wrong, but if they were annihilated, I could bring them right back up again. You see? So I want to speak to you this morning from this text in its context, but applying it to us today. Could it be that the thing that troubles you the most, could it be the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that is so perplexing to you is answered simply by the Word of God and the power of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Would you pray with, with and for me as I pray for myself? Lord, I humble myself before you in the sight of these, your people. I admit to you what you already know, and I'm sure by now they know, that at best, myself and all of us are unprofitable servants at best. But I believe you can use me this morning. And I offer you this uh, vessel. I offer you my, my voice, the faculties that you've given me. And I pray for your anointing to come upon me and communicate a word from heaven that is so clear that it would revolutionize our thinking, quicken our emotions, our mind, body, and soul. And may we leave saying what Holly was telling us. She told us about the context, and then she said, it transcends the context. She said, I don't just see, I see. Let it happen today, God, I pray, in the name of your Son and our Savior, the strong Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The cause of our perplexity, our confusion, and our bewilderment is we don't know the Scripture nor the power of God. The reason for all anxiety, all worry, and all fear is that we do not know the Scriptures, nor do we expect and anticipate the power of God. This ignorance of the Word of God, and by ignorance, I don't mean that you are an ignorant person or that I am an ignorant person, I'm speaking to ignorance in that subject matter. I consider myself to be pretty smart, more street smart than school smart. See, school smart asks you to repeat back to them what you said, and I can't repeat back because my mind was wondering, thinking, why am I here and what was I doing? And I'm not good at those tests. But if you give me a problem and say, find out six solutions to it, my mind uh, gets, gets to working on that. But for us, we, we, we have to have an expectation, an answer. We have to have a uh, systematic view. Uh, our ignorance, see, if, if I were to go in a hospital room with you, those of you that are nurses and the beeper starts to go off, did it, did it, did it? All of a sudden I'm froze. I'm three. I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't mean that I'm an ignorant person. It means I'm ignorant to what this machine is doing and what it means. And this nurse who I might be smarter than, walks over. Doot. It's 
all it took, catfish. That's all you needed to do. She walks out of the room, and she's made me feel small, not meaning to, but she was versed in what the machine was doing and what the signals were. This is our problem. We've raised a generation of people that have nursed at the breast of contemporary Christianity and don't know Jesus Christ from T.J. Maxx. They know just enough of the scriptures to get them all mixed up and they're misinterpreted, misapplied, and Christ is saying from the pages of the Bible this morning to us the problem where you straight away what causes this confusion is you don't know the scripture and you don't live in anticipation of the power of God. That's the problem. It's good. Not knowing the scripture is the hindrance of our spiritual growth our maturity, our fruitfulness and effectiveness. This ignorance and this lack of experience and anticipation of God's power robs us of power, drains us of joy and keeps contentment out of reach. In a nutshell, this is what this passage is saying. Don't ignore, don't dilute, don't distort, don't minimize, don't manipulate the word of God, but make it preeminent in your life. Make it priority and make it the governing rule of all thoughts and behavior for you. Don't view God through natural lenses, but through the eyes of faith, believing that he is all that he has revealed and so much more that we have never comprehended. I'm just going to go through a couple of just bullet points, if you will, this morning. And uh, I'll tell you where we need the scriptures. And this is not an exhaustive list. And where we need the power of God. And I trust by the time I address this, that my brothers and sisters in this church and those watching online of color will know that I love you way more than the secular world is asking of me. I love you with the love of Christ. I view you not just as my equal, but I want to live to prefer you. I saw my brother Reginald up here playing and I wanted to say to him, don't think for a moment that I love you any more than I love anybody else. And don't you think for a moment that I love you any less. Than anyone else. What would the Word of God speak to this complex, complicated, generational, um, misquoted, misaligned on both sides? What would it say? And I know this is an oversimplification, but what would it say to this issue of race and? And reconciliation. This week I watched a, a sermon from uh, Vadi Bacham about racial reconciliation. There was one thing that he brought out that it was just very touching. And I want to expound on that. So his sermon, my retake on it. He spoke of how the Bible speaks of that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. He did not say that in the body of Christ, there is no black or white, red or yellow. He said there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, because there isn't truly, now hear me out before you, you know, do the Facebook police patrol where I haven't heard from you in 17 years, and then you come in just to critique the one thing that someone said, just hear me out. And with one race, I know there's ethnics, uh, uh, 
and, and, and different tribes and dialects and nations. I understand that, but all of us are traced back to Adam and Eve. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to kick him in the shins just as hard as I can kick him for the mess he missed. Sorry about that, Adam. Um, but the same, the same blood that flows through all of our veins. The world's approach to try to fix something includes, because of great pain, great sorrow, and abuse, now to try to rectify it, there's great violence and injustice. We're fighting racism with racism. We're fighting hate with hate and all of these things. And the Word of God tells us Watch how it brings clarity. Watch how knowing the scriptures, when you just apply it, it says there's only really two races, the Jew and the Gentile. And we know that because God's the one that said it. Okay. He created the distinction. The Jews were an earthly people. Abram was a Gentile. He called Abram out of the land of the Ur of Chaldees, said, come and follow me and I'll make a, uh, bring you to a place that I'll show you when we get there that you're there. And he created out of this Gentile, the Jewish nation. And from a barren uh, womb of his wife, Sarah, and a seedless man came forth Isaac. The promise was fulfilled. So there's this wall of partition. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that we were strangers, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this present world. He said, you were not the physical people of God. There was a wall of partition there, a divider, a division as there is now. And I, through Christ, broke down the wall that I built up so that when that, law, that wall had fallen, there was no difference whatsoever between the Jew and the Gentile in Christ Jesus. Now watch, I'm going somewhere. So how are we to approach this issue of racial tension and injustice? Well, what does the scripture tell them? Love one another as I have loved you. The world says, stop having an opinion, stop having a mind. You must act like this, do this, say this, stand here, kneel here, walk here. And God says, no, 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 no. I got one better. Love them. Love them. Love them. The world plays its hand. When it shows you that their efforts are filled, and I'm not saying the motive, I don't know the motives of men's heart, but there's a lot of people that are protesting who are pure in heart. They're screaming out, hey, this has gone on. I got it. But when the world tries to fix, it comes with burning of buildings and, and, and looting of businesses and assault on innocent people. Watch. Well, what about the rage? What about, what about the injustice? It was poured out on Jesus. It was poured out on Jesus. And so now, instead of forcing me to come under an umbrella that is filled with 
other types of injustice. I approach you with a humility and a tenderness where you can see in my face that I don't view myself as better than you. I view you as my brother. And the clothes I have, you can have. The family I have, you're part of it. And that answer Jesus would say of this generation is that, let me tell you where you're erring. You don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Trying to, trying to fix racism with racism. You don't fix cancer with cancer. And for those of you of my color that hide behind the scriptures and act as if your heart isn't that way. If you love people of color or don't love, if you love them less or don't love them because of your color, I doubt your encounter with Jesus Christ. I don't know how to say it any plainer. There's a thing going around now. You need to read these books. John, as a white man, you need to read these books so you can understand. As if God's word was holding its breath, waiting 2,000 years for a godless person to write a book on sociology so that a believer can now, now the believer, we had the scriptures, we had the Holy Spirit, but now, thank God, this godless person wrote a book so I can see. I was once blind in Christ, but now I see through your sociology, and now I'm woke. I wasn't asleep. Your wokeness limits me. His wokeness means that there's no difference in you and I. And I'm not just walking with you in a parade. I want to have you at my table. I want you to be in my class. I want us to share life together. We're shortchanging. We're shortchanging as the church. People that need us. People of color that need us because we're taking the world's approach and the signs that prove it's the world's reproach is the lawlessness that accompanies it. Christ bore all of that for us so that we could, the middle wall of partition is broke down. So the person of color ought to be able to say, that one loves me in him. And if you do it right, you truly, you don't stop seeing the color. It's a non-issue for you if you are of my color until they need you. That's the way you attack. You attack it with love, not with hate. Where are we erring? I'm speaking more to the people of my color. You don't know the scriptures, know the power of God. I don't need to endorse a Marxist theology that attacks the nuclear family and that hates the Jewish people to, to do a superficial stand with you and take a selfie of me standing next to a black person and look at me. No, I'll do you one better. How about I love you with my whole heart? That's the answer. Christ. And these, these books that, you know, now, let me get back to that. So here's a list of reading, Pastor John. You need to read these five or six books as if the word of God was insufficient. Are you saying the books are wrong? No, you're the one telling me that we're creating literally this new canon of scripture that's going to make it possible for us to understand the will of God. I think he was pretty thorough 
And he said, love one another as I have loved you. Shut your Bible and you go, well, that's going to take my whole life. That's going to take all my energies. That's going to take my resources. That means if I love you, I will lay down my life for you. It's way deeper than outward demonstrations. It's an inward dying for one another. The greatest thing that you can do and be is to do exactly what the scripture tells you to do concerning those of race and be the outlier with all this swirling going on with all the media saying one thing. Let those people that have hurt the worst say, I'll tell you this much, that one loves me. That one loves me. And Jesus would say, you don't know the power of God, how it can mend and heal. I thought much of my pastor friends of color during this. Brother Clark at Union Grove and Greg McClendon and Unadella and others as, as they've uh, gone through this navigating with their people. Pray, pray for your pastors. But the power of God heals of hurts. It heals of. To know that we were part of his story so much that, and I'm not boasting it, but I, I am... I'm proud in a spiritual sense that so much so that my brother of color wanted to name his church Christ Chapel. The power of God heals us to where we see color, but we're not thinking color. We're thinking blood. How many of you are closer to people in the body of Christ than you are your own flesh and blood? Almost all of us. It's the way it should be. I told you a couple of weeks ago something that's... Oh, I'll wait. I've got too much to talk about here. Sorry. What do we do with the immorality and the perversion? The illicit sexual perversion from everything from fornication to adultery, not just homosexuality, but homosexuality, adultery, fornication. And I told you it was coming and now you're starting to see it in ads on the internet. You're gonna start seeing it on television. You'll see your first cameo of pedophile uh, behavior. And there are TED talks now being done about, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the new front and it's gonna continue. So, so how, do we, how do we deal with it? By the scripture and by the power of God. Living a chaste life, denying yourself of your propensities, your pulls, and by addressing what the scripture says. Let me just read this to you in Romans 1. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. And God gave these people up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And God gave them up to vile affections for their women did change the natural use into that which was against nature. 
And likewise, men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, women with women, doing that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat, necessary, binding. And because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Three times, God gave them over. God gave them over. To a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. And it speaks of believers as well, who knowing the judgment of God, that they that commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have the pleasure in them that do them. So how am I to, to treat them? Regardless of what the Baptist um, superintendent just recently said, to apologize to them, no. That's not what the scripture says to do. Of course we shouldn't uh, commit injustice and attack people for sexual preferences. Not at all. But we also shouldn't come and bow down at their feet and apologize to them for a sin that's going to damn them forever. That don't cost me nothing. You're going to love me if I do that. But if I stand in front of you and say, the wrath of God falls upon these sins. You, you can't live this way. It's, it's contrary to God's nature. And he says he will judge it. That's why in this last day, God says that uh, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you. And many Christians are quiet when it comes to what God's word says. But when we stand, watch, loving the person and unbending in the truth, if we share the word of God, he said, you, you err because you don't know the power of God. You don't know the power of that one word changing their heart. You don't know the power of that word causing repentance. Because if they do not know something is sin, there will be no conviction. And if there's no conviction, there'll be no repentance. And if there's no repentance, there'll be no forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness, all that's left is judgment. So when the person stands in front of them with eyes full of tears and says, I love you too much to march with you, but I kneel every night for you. And I pray before God for mercy, just like I had to receive mercy. See, we're all each enticed and drawn away by our own lust. Yours might be same sex. Mine was opposite sex. Yours was immoral. Mine was immoral. Yours was outside the confines of marriage. Mine was outside the confines of marriage. God is no respecter of person. And he, he shows us that the works of the flesh are these. This is not what sends you to hell. This is the proof that heaven, that God, his spirit's not in you. You can't live like this. And you put yourself at their level and say, and that same word that applies to you applies to me. But look at this bleeding and beaten savior that paid the penalty for sinners like me of opposite sex immorality. And people like you of same sex immorality. But God gave me a new heart and he changed me. And I'm still flawed, but I've not done that. I've not practiced fornication or adultery since he came in my heart. He, he, he healed me of that. And God can do that for you. And see, we offer the scripture and the power. But what we want to do as Christians, we, we, we got confused. We want to make consecration. How do we do consecration without pain? How do you do self-denial without pain? Deny self. I want to be with that person. You can't. 
That's not your life. That's not your partner. That's not your husband or your wife. I want to marry, this man wants to marry that man. Well, you can't. It's the denial of self. And we've tried to make the word of God more palatable to someone, thus damning them with a diluted scripture. He said, you can't do that. So the word of God stands true. Now, I know that's not popular, but if we told them the scripture and showed them the power of God, I, I met with someone two weeks ago who's struggling very much with alcohol. And I told him, since July 6, 1986, I haven't had one. I've drunk four or five nights a week for seven years and haven't had one. And I said, and don't think it was willpower. It's the power of his word and his spirit. And he changed me and reconstructed me. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are to stand for the, <clears throat> the value of life on the issues of abortion. 125,000 children are slaughtered every day. 125,000 people are slaughtered every day. Since Roe vs. Wade in 73, approximately 44 million babies have been murdered. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you in context. How can I love my black brother and my black sister and show them that their life matters to me greatly? But the organization that many stand under, I cannot stand under. How can I do that? Well, because African-American families make up about 13.4% of the people in the U.S. And yet 44% of all aborted babies are black. So are you speaking negatively about them women? No, no. I'm speaking about the structure and hierarchy that says we're for you, we live for you, we're your advocate and puts a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic on every corner in the inner city. No, if they're committing genocide, supplying genocide for the next generation of beautiful, godly, intelligent, articulate, gifted, Black babies that are going to come into this world, that's your enemy. And I will stand and point at that because I love you. I'm not telling you to be Republican. I'm just saying know who your enemies are. Your, your political is not your answer. But if someone is encouraging you to kill your children, they are not your friend. going where angels fear to tread today. Apostasy is going on. But when we know the scriptures, we understand that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, the great falling away has to take place. And you're just seeing the, the first tentacles of it. It's been in the hearts of men and taught in our universities now, you know, the last... 15 years, we radicalized a group of children who are now in their 20s, and this is what you have. We hate God. We hate one another. 
um, not everyone, but every generation, every generation has its own moronic tagline. But it's a result of what we, we have today, and especially the apostasy. We have churches where the ministers celebrate every form of sin. They are cowards to preach against evil, to stand for truth. But the scripture tells us this has to happen before the return of the Lord. So for us, we are encouraged knowing that as the world, the professing church falls away, it leaves that which cannot be shaken to remain. We're not glorying in someone else's apostasy, but it must happen. And finally, the last couple for us personally, people are afraid, church people are afraid of what's happening in front of us and that which we fear is to come. We have fear because we don't know the scripture nor the power of God. We have fear because we're worried about what is happening around us when this is a full, someone will say, Pastor John, what is going on? God's keeping his word. It's happening just like he said. Globalism is making this strong push because the table has to be set before you can have the meal. Before there can be a one world government, there has to be a globalistic push. Before you can have a one world commerce, there has to be, we ain't got no more money. There's no more coins. There's no more coins. Can you... There's no coins. Everybody's hiding. Nobody, only women's purses have coins. That's where all the coins are. <laughs> Empty every woman's purse out in this building. We, middle George is good for a couple of months. I gave Kelly a handful of coins last night from change, and she just opened up this labyrinth, this, this black hole, and just, I said, did you just throw it in there? Yeah. Weighs like 116 pounds. She has a hairbrush and coins in there. That's all we got in there. False religions coexist. The Pope, and whatever all of that means, stood up the other day and called upon all the religions of the world to have an interfaith prayer to whoever they thought God to be. And you just, you just think if we put our collective brains in a bird, it'd fly upside down backwards. Brother John, what are we, you don't know the scriptures. There is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Where, where's the person that just stands up in the group of all these people dressed in Halloween costumes? That's what it looks like. From the grand poopaw down, all of them dressed up in this uh, archaic robbery and staffs and fish head hats and everything else. We ought to call it what it is. The king has no clothes and said, you're praying to gods that don't even exist. Oh, well, that's insensitive. They're going to hell. That's insensitive. Your silence is insensitive. No, I won't pray to your rock, your tree, your mother earth, your power, however it's described. The answer is the scriptures, that Christ is the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're worried about being sustained. If our musician would come, please. God would tell you in Luke 2, consider the ravens or the birds. 
for they don't plant or harvest. And they don't have a storehouse or a barn, no checking account, nowhere that they can go, no debit card, pull out. And God feeds them. Just stop right there. Look at the birds. Holly talked about birds again. She set me up, beach ball, I told you. She said, just watch the birds. No storehouse. Even squirrels have hideouts. And if y'all want to come squirrel hunting on my property, come on. <laughs> ate my hot tub. They've ate trailer lights. They ate everything. He said, for those of you worrying, this is the word of God. Watch the birds. You ever seen them pace on your deck? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh my God. Just watch the birds. They just walk around and know that there's going to be food. They fly around and know that there's going to be food. Why? Because God put something in them and let them know, I'm going to feed you. Look at the, the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. And in all of Solomon's kingdom, no one's dressed like this. The, you know how you'll drive by a field full of wildflowers and you just stop your car? And what would God say to you? Watch how this changes everything. Do you not think you're worth much more than a couple of sparrows? You don't think that the grass that's green and beautiful today with the flowers is going to burn up in the summer heat? You're worth more than a couple of plants in a field? I bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You're the only appreciable asset. I've carved you in the palm of my hand. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And I will supply all of your needs. You didn't hear me. All of your needs. Don't worry about nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, just let your request be made known to God. And what's the evidence that you believe? Then the peace of God will stand guard over your heart. Saying worried. What are you going to do? You know you've matured when you can answer I don't know, but he does. Well, what are you going to do about, you keep asking me about tomorrow. I may not be here tomorrow. I don't know, but God does. You know what our problem is? We don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. How, how are we going to make it out of this? He said, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to preserve you unto the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ for you. I'm going to keep you. Kept by the power of God through faith. And the very God of peace will sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body is going to be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is he that called you. And faithful is he to do it. It is against the backdrop of confusion that our clarity shines. The backdrop of chaos that our peace is seen. The backdrop of hopelessness that our hope shines bright. It's against the uh, nation, national and global fear that our courage and confidence stands firm. It's in the darkness that our light is its brightest. And it's in our persecution that our identity is confirmed to the world. You can take what Jesus told the Sadducees and you could apply it to any confusion, perplexity, or angst in your life today. And if you will find out what God said about it and anticipate God's power to make it happen, everything will fall off of you and you're unmovable. Give me just a quick minute. The apostle Paul, I love Paul. Paul had a side to him. He just had, I mean, one of the greatest minds. I mean, he was, um, 
Plato type of mind. I mean, brilliant, brilliant. Sat at the feet of Gamaliel, but he had a little country Billy Bob in him too. It was just, you know, he was talking one day to the high priest and the uh, soldier uh, hit him over the mouth. Just pow, popped him over the mouth. And he said, God smite you, you whited wall. <laughs> you know, like, tell him, Paul. And he goes, you shouldn't talk to the priest like that. He goes, oh, my bad. But Paul had, see, Paul knew the Lord. Paul had seen, here we are again, Holly, seen the Lord. He said, I saw things I can't even tell you about. And the Holy Spirit's already told me, watch, that in every city that I enter into, chains, beatings, and prison awaits me. How does that sound to you like it looks like what's coming is all of this? And he said, and none of these things move me. <laughs> what do you mean? He said, well, I, I've been having this problem. I want to go home to heaven, but it's better for you if I stay here. So if they kill me, it's just going to solve my problem. So can you imagine them? They put the knife to Paul's throat, denounce Jesus. He said, would you, could you just go ahead and end this thing for me? We'll kill you, please. Because Christ is waiting for me at the door here. Well, well, we'll, we'll take your home from you. Oh, I've already counted it lost. If, you, it's our, if God lets you have it, I mean, I don't want you to take it, but what are you going to do with the Apostle Paul? Absolutely nothing. Because he's a dead man. The life that he once had, he buried it in Christ. And God wants you in this time to have your freedom, not in your storehouses, but in your Savior. I know the scripture. You can't separate me from the love of God. You can't take anything eternal from me. You can't change what's going to happen at the judgment seat. And he told us, he told us, he said, don't fear what man can do to you. Those that can hurt the body. Fear the one that has the power to cast both body and soul into hell. Just fear God. The answers aren't easy when trying to explain them to the world. But they're very easy when you want to settle it in your heart. Turn off all the Christian television, all the books, all the social input. Find out what God says and say, I expect you to be Lord over that in my life. Does that sound fair? Is that an encouraging this morning? Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy words were as unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Because in that message, I found out I'm called by your name. I'm called by your name. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knows who are his. Would you stand with us? I've got just a minute and a half song here. I asked Brian to play for us this morning. And then Pastor Wade, if you would dismiss us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is 
Let's sing this together. His oath. His oath. His covenant. His blood. Support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives away. He then is all my hope and stay. This treasure in jars of clay, don't we? You have a treasure this morning? You have a treasure this morning? I mean, I'm not asking you to say yes. I'm asking you, do you believe it? Like, do you believe that? Because without that, what hope do we have? Where do we rest our anchor? Where do we rest our hope? How do we stand If these are the last days, how do we stand unless we have that treasure in jars of clay? And this clay will go. (laughs) Some of you are playing, please. (laughs) Amen. I hope this morning that your heart has been encouraged in the word. I hope you've been challenged at the core of who you are. And I hope you're going to go home and be in your word. You're going to chase after Jesus more than you ever have. Because those who endure to the end, those who endure to the end, those are the ones who are going to give him the life crown. Man, I'm ready for my life crown. Anybody else? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are who you said you are. God, that we can rest our hope in you, that we can rest our future in you, that we can trust, put our trust in you, that we can stand as Paul did and say, take what you want. Because, Lord, we do. We rest our hope in you. We rest our future in you. And we can be as the birds who don't worry, who don't fret, because you hold eternally everything. And, God, you are working an eternal work in us. God, something that will last beyond today. God, let your word today root deep within us. God, let it go deep. Let it penetrate our hearts. God, that it may grow. God, that it may be a bush. God, that it may be shade for others. God, let our cups this morning that's overflowing, God, splash out on others this week. God, would you keep our hearts, keep us, keep our minds steady in you. God, keep our minds focused in you this week. God, that we don't get swayed, that we don't get moved around, but we stay focused on you. And God, Lord willing, if you bring us back next week, God, let our hearts be full and ready again for another great week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to encourage you, if you signed up for the boxes or if you didn't get a food box, we've got some extras in the foyer. Um, Make sure you get one. Love you guys.